Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to yet another episode of SG Explained. This is the post National Day Rally episode. Woo! We are coming from a pretty big, I would say, National Day Rally. How did you guys take it? Like, how was your wow. reaction? The, few, the biggest news ever. I'm so excited that we finally get to not wear masks in the mall. And of course, <laughs> I knew, I knew Elle will point that out in true Elliot style. <laughs> and of course, the repealing, the one I'm more excited about, both of them are pretty excited about, is the repeal of 377A. What a monumentous time to be alive. It was truly a big weekend, I feel, for Singaporeans. I mean, first you get excited about the unmasking indoors. And then you realise like, oh my gosh, like we are really moving towards the future. When you think about how gay men have the right to have sex in <laughs> private now without feeling like they might be arrested. Well, you know, I'll just admit that the whole time PM Lee was talking during the National Day Rally, I kept thinking, oh, we've done an episode on this. Oh, we've done an episode on that. <laughs> so there's tons of episodes for you guys to double click on if you really feel like you want to dissect a lot of the topics raised. And we may even do some follow-up episodes coming soon. Yeah, right, guys? stay right. tuned. So here at SG Explain, I've always been proud that we are intentionally counter-cyclical, meaning that we don't go with the new cycle. We actually try to embrace topics outside of news cycle and a lot of the themes that were raised in national day rally if you remember right pm lee actually kept talking about who we are as singaporeans and sort of our shared identity right and actually surprise surprise this episode just so happens to be our 100th episode Episode. I mean, of course, I've only been there for less than a quarter, but congrats. <laughs> but now you're part of the 100, dude. <laughs> you know, there were lots of references to our shared identity in the National Day Rally. I thought, what better way to celebrate SG Explained than to talk about who we are as Singaporeans through our Singapore values and identity. This is not an arbitrary thing, by the way. This is an actual document, an actual sort of artifact that you can go and google and find and there did you guys know that there are actual values that define who we are as singaporeans that's I mean, interesting i'm glad that there is a manifesto of that can you imagine if we just acted out of our own like mood <laughs> hey today my value is every food in singapore should be cheap you know what i mean like thank god our government knows what they're doing it's a super interesting thing because we'll we'll kind of dissect each of these values uh, not too much but you know enough to make it interesting and you'll actually see that some of it is definitely political in some ways. And in some parts, it's also, I guess, worth reevaluating today whether they still stand. So I guess for 100 episodes, it's a good time to really look at who we are as Singapore and how the last 99 episodes have helped us really tackle this 100 topic well. So maybe we can start with understanding how the shared values came about and I'm going to let Elliot tell us that My story. favorite bit, my favorite bit, you know, going through history, that's what you guys know me for, right? If you've listened for 100 episodes, this is not my forte, but I actually am pretty excited to share about this. So the, the shared values are actually basically, if I had to summarize it, it's five statements introduced by the government and this happened a day before I was born on 15th January, 1991. They were like, Elliot's coming. We gotta... <laughs> <laughs> we gotta get our act together. <laughs> so 15th January, 1991. And it was meant for all Singaporeans of all ethnic groups to kind of embrace, you know, as the nation was progressing into the 21st century. Now, the aim of introducing the shared values was actually to help forge a Singaporean identity that would incorporate the various aspects of the nation's multicultural heritage that we're all so famous for, right? And with the attitudes and values that have contributed to Singapore's success. The, the idea for national ideology was actually first mentioned by uh, then Deputy Prime Minister Go Chok Tong in a speech to the PAP's youth wing on 28th October 1988, so three years prior. Prime Minister Go actually noted that as Singaporeans became more exposed to Western lifestyles and values, they actually risked losing certain core values such as hard work, 
thrift and sacrifice and the erosion of their Asian values. Something which you can say in 1988, but I don't know how you'll get away with it in 2022. I think if you talk to any Westerner, they would balk at the idea that they don't have hard work. Yeah, exactly. Have you not watched Die Hard? There's so much sacrifice in it. <laughs> and Macklemore would like a word about thrift, okay? So, <laughs> in a bid to preserve those core values among Singaporeans, uh, Go then proposed the creation of a national ideology um, that would encapsulate the core values of Singapore society and develop, you know, our supposed national identity. Religious knowledge became a compulsory subject for upper secondary school students in 1984. And this was due to belief that religious studies helped to reinforce the teaching of moral values. Mm. So by the time we hit the late 1980s, you know, the fears of religion revivalism caused the government to reverse its stand on religious studies. It scrapped the religious knowledge program, uh, putting in its place the 1990 Maintenance of Religious Harmony Act. In addition, a secularized civil religion, I'm saying this in inverted commas, okay, was sought after to serve as a source of shared national values. And this is what resulted in finally the writing of the Shared Values White Paper of 1991. If you actually read the press releases right now after the National Day Rally, you'll see that actually the language is very specific. It says that, you know, a lot of the stuff done with the repeal and with you know some of the constitutional amendments are meant to encapsulate secular traditional values, right? And that's a very specific language because when people think of traditional values, they don't want to conflate that with religious values, right? There's definitely an overlap and some moral signposting. But actually, the whole idea was to come up with secular values that were also traditional. And this is really what the shared values represent. You have to kind of like just write it in black and white and also kind of not give the wrong signals. Interestingly, then-President Wee Kim Wee also stressed the need to develop a national identity in his address to Parliament on 9th January 1989. Uh, He was of the view that a national ideology was useful to bond Singaporeans together by preserving the cultural heritage of the various communities and kind of upholding certain common values that would capture the essence of being a Singaporean, right? This is what Dr. Wee actually proposed as the following key values, right? The first one is placing society above self. Cool. Uh, Number two, upholding the family as the basic building block of society. Uh, Thirdly, resolving major issues through consensus instead of contention. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. And number four, stressing racial and religious tolerance and harmony. So these would be his four proposed pillars. Now, as a follow-up to Dr. Wee's proposal, a committee led by then-Minister for Trade and Industry, Lee Sin Long, was convened to advance the national ideology debate and identify key values common to the various races and communities here in Singapore. Now, the findings of the committee were submitted as a white paper on shared values to Parliament on 2nd January 1991, in the white paper, the four core values initially proposed by Dr. Wee were recrafted and a fifth value was then added. So the white paper was debated in Parliament over two days on 14 and 15 January before it was adopted on the second day with amendments made to the phrasing of two of the five values. So back to what Rovik said about how they're very precise with mm-hmm. how they phrase words. <laughs> now, while most members generally agreed on the need for a set of shared values to build a national identity, some also flagged concerns about the proposed values. And one of these was that the values place too much emphasis on the nation at the expense of the individual, which is actually very reflective of like Asian culture at that time. You know, it's always like the common ideology, the common good before oneself type thing. Very sacrificial <laughs> Asian value, to be honest. Yeah. And it was postulated that this could stifle the individual, leading to feelings of a lack of respect or being unappreciated for their individual talents and contributions. And creativity and innovation could also be compromised and thus curtail the nation's competitiveness. To address this concern, the value, regard and community support for the individual was amended to community support and respect for the individual to more strongly convey the importance of upholding the place of and caring for every individual in Singapore. I actually never knew that. I like that they took note of that phrasing and they made effort to you know, keep us in mind as individuals. And I think that tension comes about a lot, right? So beyond just this National Day rally, if you look at a lot of the policy issues that have to deal with sort of the dignity of self, it comes back to that idea that 
Yes, you need to provide community support. Yes, you need to think of others beyond yourself. But at the same time, like you want to also respect the fact that an individual should have autonomy. That an individual mm. should be able to choose the life path that they want to do. And you know, I guess in recent scenarios, like able to do whatever they want in the privacy of their home, as long as it's you know within the law, right? And so, <laughs> and and actually, when you think about these values, it's useful to think of them not as absolute sort of markers, but actually mm. good sort of indicators of where tensions lie, right? And which position in the tension spectrum we've chosen to sit on. Now, another concern over the proposed shared values was the usage of the word contention in the fourth value, consensus instead of contention. And some members of parliament pointed out that the statement could imply the suppression of debates and dissenting views. So to avoid this misconception, an amendment was made to replace the word contention with conflict. And the amendment aimed to clarify that debates and disagreements should be resolved amicably and ultimately reach consensus instead of being unconstructive and confrontational. Now, in the opinion of John Clemmer, the white paper recommends an ideology that promotes statism rather than nationalism. And this is emphasized through its lack of a national myth. The idea of a struggle or war of independence to sustain such calls for nationalism. Instead, Clemmer notes that the document highlights a hidden patriotic political agenda, that's a mouthful, on the part of the government to preempt social change and direct it in suitable directions. He also highlights confusion and conservative elements represented by a counter-modernization form of ideology. Now, this belief is based on regressive tendencies associated with the revival of traditions such as Asian values. And as both of these intentions are based on the leadership's pragmatic stance, it can be argued that the shared values have served to reinforce an ideology of pragmatism rather than nationalism. So John Klammer is a political writer, right? He, he does all these commentaries. And I thought this sort of analysis was interesting because... If you go back to the origin of the shared values, it was really in some ways an anticipatory act because they were scared, right? They were scared that Singapore would start to get defined by the West or by basically external forces, which of course. continues to be sort of a narrative that we hold. It's super interesting here that that they decided to craft these values as sort of a defense line, right? To say this is who we are and therefore everything else is sort of not who we are. Assuming you were in 1991, or around that period, did you think that these values were necessary? Like, what are your thoughts? I definitely think that having some form of written down document to talk about like our our values does hold some importance. Uh, once it is a way of trying to bond people together. I think Mian mentioned something really, really in passing, but I thought it was quite important was that there's no national myth. Right, mm -hmm. or at least they don't want to gravitate towards that. So, what is there for us to cling on to as a nation without without some sort of like formalization? I, I don't, and I always don't always believe in like top down sort of governance, but in this case, it really is something that permeates to this very day. We still see it being lived out all the time. Uh, people still fight about whether or not Asian values versus Western values and and whatnot. Uh, see yesterday's three seven seven A announcement, right? The repeal for it. In the comment section, which I love going to, by the way, you guys love comment sections. I love Facebook comment sections. When you want to like take a dip in like a pool of scorpions, yeah, that's <laughs> the kind of feeling you get. <laughs> but you see, that's how strong these things are ingrained and in a way of people identifying themselves and what they stand for. There's, there's some sort of formality towards it. Well, whether it needs to evolve, I, I do think there's always room for debates around these mm. things. And of course, we can shape them ourselves. But, you know, what nation doesn't want to present core values, not just for itself, but for its for the external region to kind of like look at Singapore and say, what is it that you uphold to be true? Just as how like Americans, you know, I think one of the one of the stereotypes, I guess, is always like, I believe in the constitution. And it's like the constitution is their thing, that thing that they go back to all the time. This isn't as hard firm as like the law or constitution, but it does mean something. It's what you're saying. This is what we stand for. You know, Elliot, actually everything you said is super interesting because if you sort of trace this again, right, our shared values continue to be sort of the template for what we call traditional values in Singapore. It was set up in a period in the 1990s as sort of a preventative or defensive act against influence of views externally. But mm -hmm. if you think about how those values were set up, it wasn't through sort of a national referendum, which you don't need. That's one extreme, but not even like sort of a 
you know, a national sort of polling or, or survey, mm-hmm. right? It was one guy, the president at the time, we came, we deciding, yeah, yeah, for parliament then debating based on the template of pork. And then all of a sudden, we have these traditional values that continue to have an outsized influence on yeah. the lives of real people in Singapore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so it's actually a very big deal, in my opinion, that these shared values are set up and continue to be a template for what it means to live in Singapore. Preach, preach, my brother. Yes. Every generation that has been born since then continues to see these values as not even sort of what it means to be Singaporean, but sort of the hard guardrails, right? It's like anything above that is suddenly sacrilegious. And mm-hmm. that's why we did as you explained, right? It's because we want to show that at the end of the day, all these things we take as like hard in stone actually comes back to a couple of people in a room deciding that's the way it is. We should have a national referendum is what I'm hearing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now what I'm saying... I'm going to the press. <laughs> what I'm saying, Elliot, is that, hey, the three of us here are three people in a room. And what's stopping us and many other people from saying... Let's evolve it. I love that. I love that. I love that. Let's deep dive into these values, right? Let's talk a bit about what exactly these values are. So the five shared values that we eventually adopted. Number one, nation before community and society above self. There are two components in this value. The first component, nation before community, signifies that national interests supersede community interests, which is super interesting, right? Because if you think about uh, that sort of rank hierarchy of nation, community, and then sort of self. Right? It's saying, even then, remember, nation above all, which is why we have national service. Lah. So nation before community signifies that national interest should supersede community interests, and various communities should not pursue their own interests to the detriment of the nation. Right. So this is an example to, for example, racial and religious harmony, Right. thinking about how we all compromise so that we can achieve national sort of peace and safety. The second commandment, society before self, emphasizes that society's interests should take precedence over the individual's. The latter should always be willing to compromise by giving up his or her personal prerogative for the betterment of society at large. And the white paper identified Singaporeans' willingness to make temporary individual sacrifices for mm. the sake of national interests as key to overcoming past challenges, such as the British military withdrawal or many other sort of episodes in, I guess, post-World War II Singapore. Right. And this quality was not only important, it was viewed as imperative for the nation's continued progress. If at any time any of us decided to say self before society or community before nation, actually one of the key reasons why Singapore continues to succeed would be under attack. This value you can see everywhere in Singapore. If you don't stay back late at the office, you know, to do work, wow, putting self before that's not self before society. That's employer before self. <laughs> <laughs> the second value, and this is actually the most relevant, I guess, in recent days, is the concept of the family, right? The family is the basic unit of society, according to a shared values. Now, this, of course, is in contrast to some other concepts of what the basic unit is. It could be the individual. It could be community. The concept is that the family is a defined unit, the sanctity of which needs to be upheld. Right, And it's deemed the most important building block upon which a stable society is formed. The family not only provides, a, according to this value, a safe and nurturing environment for children, but it's also the place where values are transmitted and the elderly are cared for. The value reminds Singaporeans not to shun the responsibility of caring for the agent or uncritically adopt, quote-unquote, alternative lifestyles. This is back from when it was created. Alternative lifestyles, such as casual sexual relations, and single parenthood, which weakened the family unit. I think this is a very controversial value. What do you guys think? Definitely. Well, I mean, no casual sexual relations, man. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on, man. This is proof that like what was written years ago, and like you said, by three people in a room, um, requires, I guess, okay, I don't think stringent checks is the word, but consistent revision over the years is necessary, right? Because views of the generation then from wherever they were coming from, obviously to protect like national interest. What national interest means to us, the next generation is different, mm-hmm. right? It changes over the years. And I think, I just wonder, does anyone go back to this and look at it? Or like, has this been the way it is since it was written? There's a bit of it later on. We'll talk about it. When I read this now, I'm just like, I feel uncomfortable reading that because the family unit is so different to various Singaporeans, Right. And to see on paper right now that this is what's governing 
uh, mm-hmm. national identity, like what we stand for. Is it really, is it really what we stand for? Or the white people is meant to represent yeah. our values as yeah, a whole. Yeah, yeah. I'm not entirely sure this is truly indicative of what every Singaporean feels is a family unit or a healthy family unit. I was raised in a single, single parent, you know, household. And I think I turned up really good, man. Yeah, you turned up just fine, Elliot. Well, you, no, no, the silence that you guys gave was deafening. <laughs> I'm, I am now very upset. But I okay. will say this. I mean, like on the topic of like a uh, single parent, lately you've been seeing a lot of like news articles of how single parents truly need all the help that they can get. You know, some might even argue that they need more help and support than complete families. And I, when I say complete, I mean it with quotation marks, right? Because, I mean, if you look at it logically, wouldn't you need to support someone who already does not have, like, a partner to do it with? And then you see all these stories of, like, single parents overworking and it's almost like they're being marginalized. I mean, I just feel like times have changed and we need new people to look at these and see how we can reform it a little bit. I love these questions. We're going to keep looking at them in a bit. I was going to say that's an episode. Like, we should talk about single parenthood. In an episode, episode 200, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go to value number three, community support and respect for the individual. A major component of this value is the emphasis that every individual in Singapore has rights that should be respected and not lightly Mm -hmm. pushed upon. It is not merely polite deference. It is an acknowledgement that a person uh, should be genuinely valued, right? Because of who they are. By emphasizing on the individual this value balances the shared value stress on community and society with the individual. The other aspect of this value is the focus on the need for the community to support the individual. It's kind of actually a bit of what we're talking about when it comes yeah. to balance as well, yeah. particularly by showing compassion to the less fortunate, right? And this is where grassroots welfare associations and social services come in as examples. Such efforts help to avoid pitfalls of a welfare state and prevent mm. the quote-unquote dependent mentality from developing among nations. This also, I think, interestingly up for debate because I recently went for a talk on, quote-unquote, our renewed social compact. Have you heard of Forward Singapore, DPM Lawrence Wong's, like, news out of Banner? Yeah, like Lawrence Wong, but no, Man, we not all, we're, not, we're not nerds, Rovic. you got to explain <laughs> these to us. Basically, Forward Singapore is sort of DPM and 4G's effort to actually define what that 4G leadership should actually help hold us priorities in some ways and you know actually what it means to like move forward in the future post-COVID and so the renewed social compact actually opens up space for us to reevaluate some of the ideas we had around you know really on that spectrum of community support are we really more like means testing and you know well we're very skeptical of everyone that needs help or are we actually saying you know what at the end of the day Singapore is a nation that has wealth, is a nation that can afford to give a bit more to the people who need it. So even if there are some bad players here and there, in net, if the people who really need the help can get more help, mm-hmm. why not move towards why not help them? Yeah. welfare? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's up for debate. I think it's the space right now happening. If you're involved in community work and civic impact, you know, be part of the conversation because it's happening right now. Oh, fantastic. And that was a fantastic analysis. And I'm sorry for calling you a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm proud to be a nerd, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the the fourth value that we're going to cover is actually, uh, this one, I I think I'm more agreeable than most of them, but it's consensus, not conflict, right? The the aim of this value is to show that consensus should be the end result for any debate or any dispute for that matter. Constructive rather than confrontational discussion should be the means by which consensus is achieved. Singaporeans, you know, were encouraged or, you know, were dictated, you should participate in constructive discussion with sincerity and with the intention of upholding national interests. So this is the only part which I think is a bit iffy, but I'll come back to that later. It's a bit like open-ended, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's, my whole, that's my whole shtick with this. Uh, and of course, this value extends beyond just state civil relations. It also applies to disputes arising between unions and employers, uh, communities, you know, uh, within families. And even in the commercial sphere, they, they wanted this whole idea like, hey, let's talk it out before we start fighting on the ground. Yeah, mm. It's always about consensus rather and trying to avoid conflict. I guess it says a lot about us as a society as well. Mm-hmm. I'm a pretty non-confrontational person. I was brought up to not be confrontational. That's why when my clients scold me, 
I just go, <laughs> I'm so sorry, ma'am. Interesting that we're talking about this because just earlier today, I was reading up on uh, the repeal of 377A and uh, I think it was like a post by Mothership breaking down like what are the next steps in parliament, right? So a full debate's going to happen. Uh, one of the call to actions were, and they emphasized this, was that when they had this discussion for consensus, they highlighted that this happened in Western countries and that started, you know, wars and stuff. And therefore, in our debate that's coming up, we should be exercising restraint. As in the choice of what was literally exercise restraint. And to me, I thought, okay, could we not have picked better words like, could we exercise understanding? When you say restraint, it's like, okay, I know that you have something to say, but maybe don't say it because like it might offend mm -hmm. someone and it might start wars like you've seen in other countries. It's almost like we use examples from other countries to instill fear. And therefore, because we don't want that, you shouldn't say anything. But we respect your views. But like, can you don't talk about them? You know? So I just think choice words, like so important. And it's interesting that we just talked about this fourth value here in the white paper. Because we want to come to a consensus, but how can you get there if you don't talk about things? And what you should be exercising is understanding, right? To get to acceptance, you have to first understand each other's point of view. Well, if anything, one of the interesting things that I thought this, this um, definition had was that we should participate in constructive discussion with sincerity, mm. but also caveated with upholding national interests. Because that's that's very sincere most of the time. Out of all of them, I think this is the one that sticks a lot closer to me. Because very rarely do you see the word sincerity la, in, in, in these kind of doc in documents. So it's nice. You know, you got to give credit where credit is due. And that's one of the places I will. Moving on to uh, the fifth and what is the final one of the shared values is the racial and religious harmony. This value stresses the importance of maintaining racial and religious harmony in Singapore. As the Shared Values White Paper noted, racial and religious harmony is fundamental to the nation's well-being. And I think it's been drilled inside of us at least for six years if you're born and you know, went to school in Singapore. Therefore, it is imperative for all members of society, whether they belong to the majority Chinese or uh, the minority ethnic groups, to look past their differences and beliefs so that a harmonious society can preserve for the nation's progress. Now, this one, I think... One of the more successful shared values, um, I believe, in terms of getting the word out. I don't know about in practice. In practice, mm. I would say it's it's one of the less problematic ones. I think the main contention in this sort of uh, value is not really the aspiration, but more around the method. When it comes to what it means to be harmonious in terms of racial and religious issues, some people would say that goes through understanding and that goes through actually dealing with some of the discrimination and bias that mm -hmm. exists. Whereas some people may say, well, you know, racial and religious harmony means don't talk, don't tell, right? Yeah. Yes. Just yeah, don't, yeah. don't engage with it. And then everyone will be harmonious. It's not so simple, right? One would assume yes. that this is actually the most duh of the values, but it's not so simple, right? On how we achieve racial and religious harmony. The execution it's is interesting difficult. that like the line says it is imperative to look past their differences but I'm not entirely sure that is the right language. And it's kind of reflective of like recent debates, right? Like about how, you know, you always hear Singaporeans saying, oh, just because like we don't talk about it doesn't mean that racism in Singapore doesn't exist. So I remember this conversation when I was young. It's the concept of like some people say, oh, I'm race blind. Being race blind is a privilege, right? Someone mm. like me who is a minority cannot afford to be raised by because people will remind me of my race even if I don't want to know. Wow. Right? And so I being raised by is a privilege only the majority can have uh, in some ways. And so actually what the ideal would be, I think, based on where I'm at right now, is actually an embrace, embracing Embrace, of yeah. Right? Recognizing that we all are different and therefore that actually adds value to who we are because we come together to contribute our difference to the common pool. Mm, right and mm. sort of make something together with it but if you are not willing to give and take then it's going to be very difficult and, and these are all sort of current topics right shared value is 1991 but very current 
in terms of the application. All right. Now that we've kind of, you know, taken a look at all five of our shared values, let's talk about implementation, right? There are a number of suggestions on how these shared values should be inculcated or promoted or rather uh, sent out to the public. So everybody knows that we're all in the same national interest. So these included legislating and turning the values into actual law, adding them into constitution, of course, incorporating them into the national pledge or the national anthem, composing them into a song, transmission through mass media, and even erecting a monument to cast them in concrete. And in the end, it was decided that the most feasible way to inculcate these values is through schools, through education, primarily via civics and moral education. I remember these, our CME lessons, and of course, with the help of parents. Man, I, I love that you said you remember these because it's time for a pop quiz. Oh, snap! <laughs> So Mian said that she remembers her CME lessons. There are six Shit. CME core values. We had to get called out, Mian. This we is the of out. me in school. Eh? Just pretend I know only. Then people ask for the answer, I actually don't. The six CME core values are derived from our shared values. They are one word values. So it's not like the shared values, which are like yep. Yep. phrases, but there are six, right? What are the six CME core values? And... I will let the two of you work together to populate them. This is easy, Lamian. Actually, if you don't know, it'd be embarrassing also. But we haven't been in school for a long time. What? Can I kind of forgive us, man? I know there's like three R's. Well, I used to remember this as a child. Are you sure so not? Like, hey, this is not recycling, eh? This is not no, sustainability, sh- okay? Shut three up, R's. Man. No, shut <laughs> up. Okay, I remember the, the equities are rich. So like R-R-I-C-H. Oh my god. Uh okay, okay. First of all, confirm got respect. Respect is easy. That one's just a Confucianism thing. Respect. Hey, what's uh? what's in, Responsibility. In responsibility. Two. Okay. Is it is care one of them? I feel like care might be one of them, eh? Care is one of them. Care is one of them. Okay, yes. C, that's a C. Okay. That's okay. a C. Resilience. Maybe resilience. I think resilience. Is it honesty? No, no, no. It cannot be honesty. It's it has to do with the five core values. Harmony, 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 harmony. Ah, okay, okay, okay. That's the H. <laughs> yeah, it, make, it makes sense, right? That was I. I got something stupid. Uh, uh, oh, integrity. Yes. yes. Integrity. Integrity. That's why I thought of honesty, bro. Okay, so the six core values are <laughs> Oh my exactly god! Correct. Well done! Respect, respect. Resilience, integrity, care, and harmony. Absolutely. Oh my god. Right. The acronym paid off, guys. <laughs> hey, whoever was Elliot CME teacher, good job. Oh, <laughs> oh my god, this this was plucked from the back of my mind. Okay, the CME core values are what are supposed to be the basis of development of a person of good character and a useful citizen. Elliot yes, Tan, useful citizen. <laughs> Among them, four of them: respect, responsibility, care, and harmony are derived from the shared values, and therefore the CME syllabus complements and reinforces the shared values. On that note, we're going to take a short break, and when we're back, we're going to look at beyond Parliament. Who else gets to put a voice on what our shared values are, and what do Singaporeans actually think about our shared identity? We'll be back very soon. It's crazy to think that we're in season five of the SG Explained podcast and you, the listener, have been a great part of that experience. If you like what we've been doing over the last few seasons and you want to support some independent podcasters, here are three ways that you can do so. The first is to subscribe and that's by just clicking the subscribe button or follow button on any of the platforms you're listening to us on. The second is to share. Share our content, our episodes with people that you think would enjoy learning about the Singapore identity and challenging some of the preconceived notions that they may have. And finally, directly support us by clicking on the anchor link in the description area where you can make a small contribution that helps us support some of the costs of producing these great podcasts. Thank you again for being part of the SJ Explained family and we look forward to making many more great episodes for you. And we're back from the break. So hopefully you guys have had some time to ruminate on you know what the shared values are. I just had time to go to the toilet, you know. <laughs> Same thing. Uh, that's what I do. I really <laughs> now we're gonna look at what Singaporeans actually think about our identity and values. Now Ipsos, which is one of these organizations that runs surveys, conducted a survey over the period of seven to eleventh August, twenty twenty, around National Day period, to look at national pride and what Singaporeans 
identify with as being Singaporean. This was also very nicely timed because it was weeks after the 2020 Singapore general election, where the Workers' Party won 10 out of 93 seats, the most ever held by an opposition party since the first general election in 1968. So, you know, it's a good time to look at what may have caused the shift has the definition of what it means to be Singaporean moved. When asked to select their top five values, now this is by poll, not from week in week, select their top five values they believe are most important to Singapore, respondents said that Singapore needs to have, one, an honest and transparent government. 55% said being just and fair to all. Next, 52% said being safe. Interestingly, 38% say be progressive. What? And finally, 38% saying be socially and environmentally conscious. These are the top five values for today's sort of society. This is 2020, I think not too long ago. Being socially and environmentally conscious moved up from the seventh position, replacing 2015's number fifth rank, which was having a sense of unity. Other values that have significantly gained more importance are Technological progressiveness, that's moved up 14%. Freedom of press moved up 7%. Freedom of speech moved up 7%. You know, what do you guys think sort of drove these changes? I'm honestly quite shocked that freedom of press and freedom of speech are not in the top five. And also be progressive only 80, like 38%. Like, is it coming from a place of thinking we're already very progressive? And if that's the case, then what about us is progressive? You know, like I'm interested to know, like the qualitative insights. My response would be, I think it's less to do with sort of impression of that one value and more around the ranking, right? Mm. So when someone says, yeah, being progressive is good, but in my rank order, being progressive is like number seven. Progressiveness is an ideal, but I know it takes a lot of time and this is something instant. So the first step, I think I mean, to someone like me, and I'm, I'm not speaking for 72%, even though, yeah, I'm part of the majority, uh, is we should, we should try to level with what's happening and not just ourselves, not just our generation, but with generations above us as well. It's, it's, it is on people like us, the youth, like, you know, me, 21 years and below category, right? For me and my people... <laughs> To work with the older generations. You're, you're repping a group you don't belong to, all right? What? <laughs> How dare you, Rovic? <laughs> Ipsos actually said, while having an honest and transparent government was in the top five, number one, this was actually felt more strongly amongst those 45 to 54 years Ooh. of age at 83%. Conversely, the value of being progressive was felt more strongly among the youth aged 18 to 24 mm, you see? at 45%. Than those 45 to 54, which was only 32%. But still, mm. you know, a big chunk. I actually agree with what PM Lee was saying at the rally, right? Towards the very end, he sort of made this very stark kind of comment around the, the criticality of leaders, right? Like, Singapore cannot afford to have bad leaders. That for years will wreck our country, right? And so honest and transparent governments are like critical to who we are as a nation. Tan Hui Ching, Director of Public Affairs, said that 2020 was no doubt a momentous year. The effects of fighting a global health pandemic have brought to light what Singapore values. Outcome of recent general elections confirmed that Singaporeans are looking for change. Five years ago, Singaporeans placed more importance on Singapore being prosperous over being socially and environmentally conscious. But now, more emphasis is placed on being socially and environmentally conscious, which is in line with the government's push for a sustainable environment. If you look five years down the road or 10 years down the road, those values are going to continue shifting, right? So it'll be interesting to see how it shifts in the next few years, to be honest. Now, from the same Ipsos survey, 74% of Singaporeans agree that being a Singaporean is an important part of their identity and 58% consider themselves as patriotic residents of Singapore. How do we feel about 58%? It's not that far from... Just bothering on 50, guys. I'm surprised. It's closer to 60%, yeah. Let's be all generous. All right, all right. Genuinely feel proud that I come from Singapore. I, I feel that I agree that being a Singaporean is an important part of my identity, but I wouldn't consider myself a super patriotic guy, you know? As in, like, I'm not... Hey, don't, don't, don't fight. Don't like cancel me. Maybe you wear this, right? it on National Day, but then that's about it, lah, right? Yeah, because my wife forced me to. I mean, if you guys haven't checked see? it out, check uh, my see? Instagram, okay? <laughs> all our partners said they pranked us and made us all wear the same red Uniqlo like t shirt. The worst part of this prank, right? I'm, I'm sorry to, dive, to digress, but the worst part of this prank is that it wasn't just 
the 10 of us goons wearing that, I'm almost certain a lot of Singaporean men were also wearing <laughs> that same Uniqlo shirt on the same day. Uniqlo's shirt sale just spiked. <laughs> we got to print more red, guys. We got to make more red shirts. Well, yeah, I, I guess it depends on how you define patriotic, right? Because I wasn't in Singapore during National Day. Am I not patriotic? It's like the whole Sunday Christian discussion, no? Just because you go to church every Sunday doesn't make you a more pious Christian. But let's not go there because secular, right? <laughs> Oof. No, but I, I think Rovik's right in, in talking about what does being patriotic mean? And it means so much to different people. So I, I think it's open to interpretation still. It's not a bad thing. Now, interesting that you ask that because when these people were asked what they consider to be important to the Singaporean identity, three in five Singaporeans said a multiracial and multi-religious society is important to them. And this was closely followed by local food and delicacies. 57%. Nice. World-class services, 46%, such as Singapore Airlines, Changi Airport, and Singlish coming up at 44%. How endearing. Actually, it's true, you know, like I think I feel the most sense of pride, right? When I'm holding my passport going through immigration. Do you feel that? My sense of pride is when I'm holding my passport going through immigration faster <laughs> I think that's part of the Singaporean identity as well competitiveness 100% you know now that I mean I'm married to a Vietnamese wife right so when we go to that same airport I have to wait for her I've never experienced that with any of my friends ever like I tap deep, deep, then she's like hey wait I need to queue up I'm like wow <laughs> Check, we're going to be late for this flight, bro. Why? Now, the opinions as to what is most important to the Singaporean identity differ by age. World-class services in our government are more important for the older Singaporeans, while those aged 18 to 24 years old were significantly more inclined to associate Singlish and mother tongues with being Singaporean, perhaps reflective of a proud and confident younger generation. If you go and Google the survey, there's a chart that Ipsos actually publishes. And it's kind of sad because the local sports scene and local art scene are actually oh my the gosh, lowest all rank the of way all the down. values. Right? These are only 3 and 6%. Oh my gosh. In, in terms of how they how people perceive them contributing to our mm. national identity. Right? It's uh, it's kind of tragic, I would say. You know, besides some of the stuff that you mentioned, Mian, other stuff that comes on the list, national service, public transportation, Famous attractions and infrastructure, like these probably referred to like the bridges and like the Malayan and stuff like that. So um, it's interesting how people have done a rank order. And that same chart actually shows that for the most part, actually, there's a lot of variance between age groups on what the rank order is. The only thing that ranks on top for anyone above 25 is multiracial and multireligious. Interestingly, for 18 to 24, the top rank is local food delicacies. <laughs> Multiracial and multi-religious is number three. My, my favorite stat is actually that everyone ranked the local art scene the exact same way. <laughs> Shit. Like, oh no, unanimously. Am I for laughing? Unanim- dude, and we're part of that industry. Shut up, dude. Like, <laughs> wow, them sians, yeah. The bottom three is like kind of like almost unanimous, right? The local sports scene is valued a little bit more from the 45s uh, all the way to the 55s and above. But everyone else is like, yep sports scene right at the bottom but all in all a really interesting survey so post 2020 a citizen work group was also convened to articulate the singapore identity and after seven months of discussion research writing uh, the citizens workshop has completed their report in the form of a letter to share their perspectives with naturalized citizens on what makes us singaporean so it's like a bit of an infographic here. Uh, number one, let's understand our values, which we've covered in this episode. Secondly, we should respect and integrate. Respect other races, cultures, religions, uh, and integrate with and contribute to the local community, which, you know, we've we've actually had episodes on this podcast since we haven't shout out. You know, like when we talk about the Sikhs, right? And uh, our Sikhs episode, they were very welcoming of like trying to get us to understand their culture, their whole mission. And the Sikh Association is to just let people, it's not about conversions, but hey, come and check out who we are and let's, let's have a grand old time together. I think that's that's a really interesting uh, point. So check out our Sikh episode if you haven't uh, checked it out yet. The third one is to contribute to society, where it says it is our duty to contribute as Singaporeans and that there are many opportunities to volunteer at places 
such as museums, libraries, and parks. I, th- I think that's a pretty succinct way of saying do your part. By the way, the Citizen Work Group, just as sort of a point of information, is sort of a, a cross-public uh, work group, right? So it was convened by the public service, but it's mostly with people from industry, people from families, etc., uh, who are supposed to help write this letter to naturalize citizens. It's interesting that some of these sort of identity markers are here because it's also sort of brings the question, do Singaporeans themselves believe that this is what it means to be Singaporean, right? So, I mean, open question, do any of us volunteer at places such as museums, libraries, and parks? When you mentioned that, I think we're doing our own our own way of like contributing to museums, libraries, and parks. By creating this podcast, we've actually <laughs> made something that maybe might be in a museum someday. I'm hoping so. Uh, it could be kept in a audio library. Who yeah, knows? dude. And of course, as people are jogging, they're listening to us in the parks. So I I would say, yes, we I do volunteer. Yeah. And it's purely voluntary. <laughs> I, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're not getting paid to do any of this. At all. Uh, our fourth step uh, is to remember our history and keep the key milestones in the back of our minds, right? Singaporeans believe that it is most important to understand Singapore's post independence history. Ah, this one a bit sasa, but never mind. Post independence <laughs> history, all right? And many Singaporeans agree that key lessons from our histories include the importance of multiculturalism and religious harmony. Thumbs up for that. Uh, and how we overcame post-independence challenges. Uh, middle thumb for that. Do you guys think you know our Singapore history well? I know Rovik does. Okay, don't have the flex. <laughs> I think I only knew it better after joining, uh, as you explained. I have to be honest. Thank goodness. Hence, back to number yeah, three. This is like, we contributed uh, to society. Yeah. Yeah. I think y'all forced me to volunteer. Eh. <laughs> Oxymoronic as, as it sounds. We never force anyone to volunteer. <laughs> we only ask, hey, want to help or not? Like, uh, number five is appreciate our arts and culture. The arts reflect the rich cultural histories and traditions of diverse ethnic heritage, which by and large, if you go to most of our museums, they actually do try to celebrate this as often as they can, right? The, the static exhibitions tend to always talk about heritage and culture. Uh, but also some pre-independence. So I don't know how this squares off with number four. And Singaporeans believe arts play a vital role in creating a sense of belonging to Singapore. Uh, Number six, get to know how we work. The top five most important institutions as as the citizens work group believes, right? Uh, The parliamentary system. I think that's pretty important. Yes, I think I should. Yeah, because I'm voting now. I'm a voting adult. So parliamentary system is one. So the education system, the national service system, they also want to promote self-adequacy. So I guess this is in tune with like lifelong learning. And of course, to promote and ensure racial and religious harmony. Hence, all the time in schools, you know, we had to kind of like learn that at the back of our minds. These are all in their minds how we work, all the systems that govern us. Uh, number seven is to build our future together. Uh, and this one is a lot of really creepy emojis on them, but I, I, I actually <laughs> love this point a lot. They believe in, you know, that many Singaporeans aspire for Singapore to be a gracious and open society. Hard to debate with that. Uh, And to keep in mind global trends and local challenges that could be social, technological, diplomatic, and even ecological, right? And yesterday was a prime example of how we have built a future together. Like enough, enough has been said that we're on our way to... 377A going away. My poetry today on, on fleek. Uh, and last but not least, uh, this is uh, hearkening to a beautiful National Day song, uh, One United People. Okay? <laughs> I mean, uh, so building an inclusive society takes time and commitment. Agreed. This is 10 out of 10. And of course, greater effort is required by all citizens to interact and appreciate each other. Oh, I love this one. Yeah, but I'm glad that's also stated right there, you know, that there is a need to fundamentally be humans to each other, practice understanding and not just tolerance, which is a word that's thrown around way too much in like national agenda documents. If you ever meet anyone who is, you know, trying to become Singaporean, you can probably send them this uh, infographic and see how, how well they I think they, they see also they see, eh? Wow, must be so much just to be Singaporean. 
there's one of the values that's not written here is that we're a mugging culture, okay? You better go and study, okay? I give you the resources, you go and memorize. You go, and you go for the test. your quiz. <laughs> your quiz and you say, I'm ready. I, what I, are the five most important institutions? <laughs> well, man, if you go to ICA now and they ask you like what are the CME core values, right? <laughs> GG, citizenship revoked, mate. Like, <laughs> not after this episode. <laughs> no, no, really, I just showed them that I'm on the SG Explain podcast. Hey, I'm I'm contributing to society, okay? <laughs> that's true. That's true. All right, we've taken a pretty long journey uh, to discover our Singapore values and our shared Singaporean identity. I think we've highlighted some areas that we continue to uphold as sort of, I guess, evergreen values and evergreen sort of ideas of what it means to be Singaporean. But we've also identified a lot of areas where I think it's worth more discussion, more more conversations on how is it relevant today and whether mm-hmm. actually there could be space for an evolution of those values and even maybe new values, right? The Ipsos survey kind of showed us that things are changing on a generational basis. And in five to 10 years, do we still hold on to the same shared values, right? Some would, there are people in different sides of the camp, some would say, you know, values are meant to be everlasting, and therefore no evolution and some would say well that's not true I'm just happy to be Singaporean with you guys like to be very honest honestly I feel very blessed to be Singaporean law. and I don't even mean that in, in like a, oh let's just like end this on a happy ending kind of note but like I think there's a reason why Singaporeans love travelling so much yes want to be more worldly and you know we are always looking for new things to do we want more entertainment but really like I think the consensus when you come back from your trips is always like oh like, there's really no place like home. You know, the efficiency here, like, um, safety. They're just things that you just don't get outside. And it's a nice way to remind ourselves of what we have achieved over the years uh, on our 100th episode. 32% of people will agree with you. You know, public transport. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, we're really happy to everyone who's been with us for any part of the journey towards 100 episodes. If you are a day one listener, you are, you've listened to all 100 episodes. Well, you know, let us know. We would love to uh, hear from you. I think that's pretty cool that we've had someone who could have done that. Uh, and hey, if you listen to us, listener, tag us. Please do. We always love getting the messages. Uh, you know, once in a while, someone will tell us, oh, I was listening to SG Explain while I was doing, you know, this thing. I was thing running in the thing. park. Yeah, and it's really cool to know <laughs> that, <laughs> it's really cool to know that someone's listening to us and, and I guess taking away that fun fact that we may have shared in that episode. Yeah, and that our volunteer work has been noticed, guys. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're a day one listener, I have some great news for you. We got 99 more views where it came from. <laughs> Go check it out. It's a fun, it's a fun ride watching us evolve. Uh, but on that note, thank you all so much for staying tuned in this one. We'll see you in 101. Bye. <laughs> Bye-bye.